back, the Hell's Bells are back with a 2.0 version of Hell's Bells. Yes, uh, we know everybody has been waiting with bated breath for us, our return, our mighty return. And this is our jazz odyssey. Um, <laughs> and in fact, if you stick around, we might even do our musical version about Jack the Ripper. So <laughs> You should introduce ourselves. I'm so presumptuous. It's like <laughs> everyone knows who, who I am. Are. I don't need to introduce myself. So I am your co-host, Kat Ellinger. And I am your other co-host, Heather Drain. Thank you so much for joining us, our beloved listeners. We've been away so long, too long. We do this, but we are we're back expanded. And uh like I said, 2.0, we decided we wanted to go beyond film. And you know, obviously we'll still be coming back to film, but also doing music and culture and other esoteric subjects of interest to us because we have many absolutely we are we are much more than just uh just cineasts and you know as much as we love obviously cinema we wanted to expand the format and make it you know more variety i mean because i honestly can i talk about film all the time in, in both career and online and all that so we wanted to kind of use something to talk about our other loves and we have many many loves yeah, literature, music, general culture stuff that's interesting, you know. So, it, yeah, moving forward, we have some really interesting stuff. We've got some really interesting stuff planned, including today. This is like a bit of an offshoot because we did a commentary for Kino Lorber's new release of Times Square where we talked a lot about women in punk and being women who were punks. But we felt like a nearly two hour long film wasn't long enough to, to finish that subject. And there are also things we couldn't say in in the commentary, obviously, because you have to be kind of formal and polite. So we thought, what a what better way to kick off the new House Bows 2.0 with a story about our history with punk and our personal relationship with punk. So I guess kicking off, Heather. What was your introduction to punk? Oh God, I, I, and I have this very clear memory of being a little girl, you know, in now Wearsville, Arkansas, and my mother was watching some kind of, um, like I think like this TV special called the Twenty Five Years of Rolling Stone of all things. It was on ABC, and there was a little tiny clip of Sid Vicious from singing My Way. <laughs> Infiltrating. Infiltrating. <laughs> and, like, it was him with the gun, and I was like, wow, this is interesting. And why did he just murder Joni Mitchell? Because I totally thought the woman that he shot in the movie was Joni Mitchell. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but the real connective tissue, though, for me was um, I started like at a very young age i started getting into kind of like uh i guess what would now be called like post-punk but you know bands like Susie and the banshees i started reading that up and of course the cool thing about researching anything is it always sends you to different journeys and i discovered these rhino records compilations called diy and there was like one for the new york scene one for boston one for the uk uh etc and hearing 
all the different kinds of music, because especially in, I think, the U.S., a lot of people have this just, like, very linear view of punk where it's, like, angry, skinny white boys that are heterosexual. Yeah, American, American punk, I like some of it, but especially the earlier stuff, but it's always been a bit of a, a mystery land to me in many ways. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and the sad thing is because it did kind of become like codified like that, but early, yeah, the early American punk, yeah, you had, I mean, different sounds, different people. You had, you know, LGBTQ people, you had people of color, you had um, people doing electronic music, you had bands like Suicide, and you'd have something kind of fun and goofy like the Dictators, and you'd have like, you know, the Stooges, or you'd have like the Screamers, which were almost like uh, performance art punk, and you know, just all kinds of like cool diversity. And it was like, it connected with me so much, because it was like, this is music made for misfits by misfits and it's like it didn't matter if you had no money if you were you know were poor or a woman or whatever a weirdo you don't even know what the the hell you are (laughs) because you're growing up you know you're like this mutant and it was just it it changed my life it absolutely changed my life I do want to talk about punk and gender as we go along but um Mm, I got into it because of my dad oh my dad Wow, I I had this like first of all I was into just general pop and I grew up in the early 80s so it was like adamant that was general pop back then as we call and, <laughs> oh, the I, Cure, love and I loved fucking wham like I was obsessed with wham I still love wham and I still love George <laughs> Michael I'm not taking it back <laughs> and then I got into like heavy metal because back in the I know we talked about this on our spinal tap episode Heavy metal was kind of mainstream at the time. It was like in the charts. It was like on TV. And I got into bands like Iron Maiden and and bands like that and Judas Priest and stuff like that. So I was was sort of moving towards the dark side. But then my dad gave me a copy of The Clash, The Clash. I had like two tiers of getting into punk. That, That was the first one and that changed my life. And then... I borrowed his, never mind the bollocks, Sex Pistols uh, album as well. My dad was in his early 40s, but he really embraced punk <laughs> at the time. My mum's a massive Blondie fan, so it was playing in the house. And then the second tier was when I'd fully got into metal and I was hanging around on the metal scene and that and liking a bit of punk, but like only stuff I could get from my dad, really, which was quite limited. And mainly to do with the Clash, who I still love. And then I was intro to Crass Punk through a Crass album that a friend of mine gave me, and that changed everything. And I think that was the difference between US punk and British punk, in that British punk was very related to a very anarcho-political sort of community. You had the big squatting community connected to that. It was very much focused on uh, criticizing Thatcherism and politics, although in the anarcho-punk you also had stuff like vegetarianism and uh, I really liked Oi Polloi was one of my favorite albums in defense of our earth, which was like a ecological sort of screed about how we were destroying the earth but British punk was very much focused it was like a working class thing generally. And it was very much focused on the government and employment, things like that. Whereas the earlier American punk was connected more to an art scene. 
So it was, yeah, I always found that more difficult to get into at the time. I, I, When I was older, I started to appreciate it more. But at the time, I just like the really, you know, I like things like the exploited Maggie, you cunt. Maggie, you cunt! because as an angry working class teenager who hated Margaret Thatcher that was something I could get on board with but I think punk like you changed my fucking life you know I got into the metal scene and that was just as glam metal was on the rise so even though there was a bit of scope in there for defying gender stereotypes and things like that and I came into contact with the goths and you know all the other little pockets of subcultures because we all used to hang around this seedy nightclub called the night owl i was like 14 the first time i went in there everyone was fucking underage this <laughs> shit there's like a youth club and everyone's like drinking i don't think there was a single person in there over the age of 18 apart from the dj but they just didn't give a shit and it was like when Motley Crue and Poison were really taking off. So there was like the glam rocker girls who all dressed like they came out of a like White Snake video. There was that. <laughs> but then there was the crust punk side of it, which was that was my introduction to feminism through people like Vice Versa from the Poison Girls, from Eve Libertine, from Crass. And this notion that you didn't have to subscribe to this beauty ideal and you didn't have to subscribe to a certain way of dress and you didn't have to wear makeup or shave your armpits and we have much more important work to do. We were going to fucking change the world. It was class war. And that still now underpins my politics, my feminism. Like it's never changed and this idea of a community as well, coming together and doing it for ourselves. So we would run fanzines, we'd put on gigs, we'd, you know, raise money, we'd do, and, and it was all before the internet, but this sense of community and helping each other out. And if I hadn't have found that, I don't know what would have happened because by then I'd been sort of, you know, thrown out of home. I was put into a children's home. I was really fucking angry um, I never wanted to see my mother again. You know, I felt like the whole world was against me. I'd been expelled from school and punk was there for me and punks were there for me. You know, people, men that treated women as equal, you know. So I had this whole backward thing where that was like my formative experience. And then by my 20s, I sort of came out of that into a wider culture and realized, you know, it wasn't like what I was used to. It was actually like really fucking sexist and misogynistic. And there are all these standards put on women, which I hadn't been aware of because I got into punk so early. So I was like, like shouted from that and coming out into a more mainstream thing and realizing, you know, most guys I spoke to didn't just want to talk to you in a respectful way they were like you know touting <laughs> you know it was really confusing to me in my early 20s because I didn't understand like why is this wider world like this because punk you know there were there were no limitations um you were you know being a woman in punk you weren't expected to be any one thing you weren't expected to be feminine 
you know, everybody was equal. It was almost like being a comrade, I think, because it was all around politics, the British side of it. And we, I lived in the squat community from the age of 15. I left care and we lived in squats and they were like communes where everybody helped everybody else out. So, you know, it really saved me finding that. It was like finding family. It was like finding family, but also sort of instilled me with a certain philosophy that I still carry today at 48. You know, even though I don't have a Mohican anymore and I still listen to a bit of old punk, more so these days because it's suddenly with the Tories become <laughs> so much more relevant again because we've come full circle. But I, I don't know. I don't, if I hadn't found that, I don't know what would have fucking happened to me, to be honest. I was never going to be a Motley Crue trick, though. I know that much. I'd never had that amount of... um energy for back combing my fucking hair and putting makeup. <laughs> I was too lazy. Oh god. Well and so the dudes are terrible. The the dudes were even worse. The dudes oh, were god. even worse. The, there was only a mirror in the women's toilet in the night owl and it would be crowded out with fucking you know Tommy the wannabes back combing oh. my fucking hair. You couldn't even get to the cubicles with so many blokes in there. And hairspray. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> tight, tight lycra. Oh my god, the horror. Oh my god. I, it's like, whoa, okay. Yeah, some of those I remember seeing a clip of the Tigers of Pantang, which were really good. Like, kind <laughs> oh of early my god, new I haven't heard that for years. <laughs> <laughs> but the lead singer, and I can't remember his name, tremendous voice. Um, went on to do like be like a theater singer, like do stage musicals. But um, his pants were so tight. I'm like, oh my god, dude, I can see your veins. Like <laughs> <laughs> they <laughs> no, left nothing the to the imagination. No. I'm telling you, those fucking pants. And at 14, I walked into that club. I'm pretty oh sure they were playing something like Girls, Girls, Girls because they <laughs> loved playing that song in there. Oh, Jesus. And, you know, to these fucking guys in lipstick with bulges and, you know, it was eye-opening. <laughs> I'm fucking telling you. I didn't know where to put my eyes. <laughs> Not that I was that innocent at 14, but, you oh. know, that was a whole other level. And there was this older DJ who must have been in his 40s, and I'm laughing now because I'm in my 40s, but at the time that seemed like... 580 oh, and, oh, and God, the rumor yeah, was he stuffed socks in his lycra that was like the rumor oh my it. god <laughs> <laughs> oh man i love hearing about all of this though like about the just the the community that you got to be a part of because i think that's so beautiful and i think that's the thing that people you know, I think there's been little tiny elements of that in some you, you like UK punk or US punk. I think the problem is like with America, part of it, it's such a huge country, but it's also like things, I think things just got codified so quick where, you know, even though you did have, obviously there's some really great American like political punk bands. I mean, the Dead Kennedys, of course, of course, that fractured. <laughs> but yeah, Jill and Biafra is still out there. Like, he Yeah, we out. love the Dead Kennedys here. I actually found some old paperwork from my teens at my dad's and it was social worker notes. So I've been in some social worker meeting and on the back I've been scribbling crass and the logo and the <laughs> dead kennedy's logo but i'd spout dead kennedy's wrong and i thought that's just the punkest thing ever <laughs> oh my god i love that <laughs> like dead kennedy's or something <laughs> <laughs> but like 
some of the like I think about like some of the just amazing like women you know, you talk about gender discovering through punk both on both coasts because um, like with or, like with America especially like women like uh, Alice Bag from the Bags who did this really great memoir called Violence Girl and she's she's such a huge inspiration to me and you know just how she processed she she grew up super angry you know and she's just like you know her family were very poor and she loved her father. But her father had this dark side where he would beat her mother and she loved her mother. And so it's just like, so she you know, had that, she had gender anger. Um, you know, she realized she was bisexual. And of course, you know, that's, you know, no, no. But then like, she found this community of just like early punkers like herself that it, no, you know, guys and girls were playing together. It didn't matter if you were gay, bi, it was like, it really was like a little community, but that like, you know, realistically, it only lasted like a really tiny amount of time before it just like, and I love hardcore punk, but like in the US, hardcore also tended to bring a lot of just like, ironically, the the bullies that beat up these kids. Yeah, <laughs> like, my ex-husband, my second husband was a total, he's Welsh, but he was a total New York hardcore sort of uh, obsessive, he even went to New York and got tattooed at the famous shop there and he was into mad ball and all of that and he was a bodybuilding wanker (laughs) (laughs) which sounds like a punk song i feel like yeah bodybuilding wanker would be a song by the subhumans or something back in the day but i have to say i i got this book in uh junior high called punk diary and that's where i learned about bands like crass and reading about crass and then later on getting to hear them like i can i i'm so jealous you got to discover them it was like i've never heard anything like it the music was like so dissonant it didn't even have a melody and it was like this weird sort of military drumming and i'm pretty sure the first song i ever heard by them was do they owe us a living And we'd gone out, I think a bunch of us had, I'd met up with some random people and we'd gone out to these old train tracks to camp out overnight because we all had nowhere to stay. And someone had a little beat box, a boom box thing and put, put that on. And I was just like, oh my God, what is that? And then they always had this thing, pay no more on their albums. You could get like a crass album for about two quid or whatever they'd have like pay no more than three pound or pay no more than one pound so I managed to get a copy or I can't even remember what it was but the one that really fucking did it for me was reality asylum I am no feeble Christ not me he hangs in glib delight upon his cross upon his cross above my body lowly me Christ forgive, forgive, holy he, he holy, he holy, shit he forgives. Where Eve Libertine talks about Christianity and feminism and sexuality. And that just blew my fucking mind. I just, I was like, what the fuck is this? This is incredible. And it was just totally life changing to me. 
it's sad that like kids today have got to that age now but <laughs> well not there's there's been nothing to replace that and like you said i think with american punk especially by the early 90s it became very commercial it just become really really commercial whereas the the uk punk mainly stayed underground like a lot of those old bands are still going or they resurrect for sort of conflict a few years ago well probably about 10 years ago now uh, but conflict is still going and who else did i see it's all the subhumans in coventry in about 2012 so they kind of you know and they never made any money and they're still kind of down to earth but on the American side, it quickly went into that like Green Day. Uh, what was that other oh, fucking God. terrible? But the Offspring. The Offspring. Oh my God! I just <laughs> want to fucking punch him in the face. And then, and from that, some forty-one and no, Avril oh, Lavigne and all no. that fucking stuff. It was some forty-one played at download festival one of the years i was there and i was quickly trying to they also ironically had iggy pop the same year uh, oh. and iggy pop was brilliant oh, I but then they iggy. had the distillers and fucking sem 41 and i couldn't stand the distillers that woman who wanted to be courtney love oh god brody doll oh and my god name. what happened to her with her fake mohican she did the one where she didn't shave it at the sides. she just did the little point like oh, the <laughs> yeah it's just like shave it at the sides i actually commit and and then sem 41 i was quickly trying to scuttle away from them but i just couldn't get away and they were playing that famous <laughs> song of theirs whatever it is I can't remember what I've it was tried, My brain has tried to block it out. Oh, and... my God. I just couldn't get away. It was, like, playing everywhere. It was, like, echoing. I'm just, like, got to get away from this. Please oh save God. me. And they were, like, mainstage download, and that was, like, that was the... Because even though download is, like, more... It's supposed to be, like, it used to be Don into Monsters of Rock, but it's, like, all different types of alternative rock. Mm-hmm. That was the representation for punk that year. Oh, and it was God, like, oh, that's... come the fuck on. That is depressing. And Iggy Pop was great, but he was so old now. And he tried to... He called these people on stage and it got out of hand. That was funny. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> out of I... his depth. <laughs> You know, it's it's so funny because like when I when I came of age and like I like in the mid nineties and that's when Green Day and that's you know and yeah, all those that was bands. a poor period to come of age. Heaven. Oh my god! Well, that's why I got into like old school. Like I was listening to seventies punk, um, Kate Bush, uh, The Damned. You know, I got into the Cramps, uh, the Tubes, which are not punk, but they did white punks on dope. So we'll count it. And like. But it's funny because there was like a little pocket of kind of like kind of pseudo alternative kids at my high school. And like and there was one guy that was such a such a butthole in that group. John, I can't remember his last name, but he was like so arrogant. But he one time came up to me, he said, you know, you freak me out. You kind of scare me. And I was <laughs> like, OK. And he's like, because you you don't look punk, but you know more about punk than anybody and i don't know what i like what is the punk supposed to look like like what am i you know because the, the, these kids didn't have mohawks or anything it was totally like 90s grungy kind of uh you know we're, we're and most of them were middle class like oh our parents and i, I remember getting kind of mad at some of them because it's like you shop at the goodwill and salvation army because you think it's cool i shop there because that's all i can afford i can't afford to yeah, go to the mall that's what i loved you know? about punk because the whole <laughs> 
kind of crest punk fashion if it had one was like these long green army shirts they were like night shirts and because I'm only like five foot two they used to come down to my knees and German para boots were a thing everyone wore German para boots because Dr Martins were too expensive like Dr Martins started off the punk boots but then they became trendy and the they were ridiculous, so no one could afford Dr. Martin. So we used to go down to Army Surplus and buy these German para boots for a fiver and these long fucking sh- shirts. And then I had, like, my head all shaved on the top but with loads of dreadlocks at the back and my nose pierced. That was basically the commitment to the look. It was like I just got out of fucking bed. Leggings. Um, I did have a Moeekin for a bit, which was that was hardcore. She had to keep that took ages to spike up. It didn't last long the spiking it up. I wish I had photos of it. That's when I got into the exploited. The exploited oh. were the non-thinkers contingent of them. <laughs> <laughs> I still love them. But there was like and then I like Crassy were like really heavy. Rudimentary Peni were another one of my favourite bands at the time. And the subhumans were probably my all time favourite. But as far as um women went, you know, the women of punk, often now when you hear people talk about the women of punk, they actually talk about Riot Girl. And I've got nothing against Riot Girl at all. But it's a 90s thing, and it's like, hang on, there was like a whole bunch of women before that in the late 70s. Absolutely. Like completely obscured. British punk was not just the Clash and the Sex Pistols and then Crass. You had like the Slits, Penetration, Pauline Murray. Penetration were one of my forever favorite punk bands. I still listen to now. Amazing. Um, X Ray Specs. You had the Poison Girls, like vice versa to me is is like just she was so amazing because she was a single parent. She'd been involved in like political underground political groups like anarchist groups and stuff. But she was basically a single middle aged, overweight, middle aged single mother who started a punk band, a Jewish, right, starts a fucking punk band in her 40s. And she was the one who really got Crass started because the first record Crass did was a split with Poison Girls. She actually lent them the money to do it. And vice versa, the Poison Girls were entirely different because she'd do songs like Lovers Are They Worth It? where she talk about like being in a shitty marriage and being unfulfilled sexually. They say I'm never satisfied, say I'm much too cocky. They say I never did appreciate the love they gave. But when I stop to think about the way it was and all the things you did, I'm glad I'm all alone. I've had some bad um, times. I've you know, being forced into roles like motherhood and as a wife so she talked about all this stuff and then also stuff like um you know the workers politics and stuff and that i think really i owe more to vice versa as a feminist than any other person and yet even within like those punk documentaries she's virtually unrecognized now she died a few years ago I really wanted to write a tribute to her and I could never do it because it always sent, felt like this enormous task. So I guess this episode I kind of get to do it in a way because she meant that much to me. And, you know, she's quite old when she died. She was quite old when she started. 
but um, his son, Pete Fender, who I got to know, and he's lovely. He was actually in the Poison Girls when he was a teenager. You know, he was like, no one ever, like, recognises my mum. No one ever speaks, because she was this, like, older woman who was, you know, she didn't have the cool look going on, and she just looked like a middle-aged woman, and, you know, she was incredible, I find it like one of the most inspiring people I've ever sort of encountered just because, you know, it's like saying age doesn't mean anything. You know, you just go and be a punk at 40 because like, who cares if you're a single parent? Just go and write punk songs about it. So that yes. side of punk, I think, I think we've seen like in recent years a few of the women, like we saw the X-Ray Specs documentary quite recently um you know but but it's still wrapped up very then there was a fucking pistols documentary because of course there was because of course we need a fucking another film about the pistols and it's like and then it's riot girl if you go onto like spotify and you put in women in punk you will get a list of riot girl and it's like why is nobody celebrating these other band like these women who were pivotal in that movement and they were just as important they're just as important as the the male bands, I think, and more so for young women, you know, who, when you think about gender in the 80s, it was really fucking different. It was even different in the early 90s when I had my son in 1992. And you think 1992 is not that long ago. It was like the year, I well, Terminator 2 came out when I was pregnant. And you think, it's like modern times, but actually attitudes even then, even in the early 90s, were fucking weird. Like, they were fucked up. In the 80s, even more. Like, this, even though we had, like, Madonna and fucking Margot Kidder and Ripley from Alien, you know, it really wasn't this all-out liberated thing for normal women. You were still had... Do you know, I remember first year in senior school, they used to send girls to what they called domestic studies. Oh, God. And they and we were teenage <laughs> girls. They'd have like uh, toy babies in there. They'd learn you. They, they, this was the guys got to go and do mechanics, and we got domestic studies where we'd learn to darn socks. I'm not even fucking joking. This was part of mainstream education. Uh, put on fucking nappies, bath a baby, and cook dinner. Like that is what they would do, and so someone like vice versa comes along, and I'm just like, oh my fucking god! <laughs> uh, that well, and that's 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 proof. That's always been something that really just gets on my nerves because, like, you know, I've read a lot of books about punk over the years, and you know, seen a number of documentaries, and it's like they always cover the same bands and you know and yes yeah, some of those bands i love yeah of course i love the clash you know uh i love the ramones yeah i love the stooges you know i the pistols are great it's done like there are so many like like what you said undocumented uh you know artists especially women that have not really been given their due diligence and i think part of it is the mainstream isn't good at you know wanting to delve deep on anything but especially anything that doesn't have a sexy look to it because think about it like anytime people talk if they even talk about old school women in punk like 70s it's always Susie sue and i love Susie sue okay <laughs> but oh Susie i love sue. Susie sue too. i do i do and debbie harry and i love debbie harry but debbie was 
wasn't she? Debbie was cute. She had that like cute, and she was incredible. Oh, she's but she was cute. Yeah, and it's like, and I love those girls. It's like it's not shitting on them at all or women. Sorry, somebody's probably I'm a, I'm a terrible feminist, right? But <laughs> but like, but I'm the best feminist. And even like like you say, growing up in the '90s, uh, some of the the women of the nineties, I couldn't really relate to because I remember, and I love Sonic Youth. Well, not unconditionally, but there's Sonic Youth stuff. I really do enjoy, but like, and I'll, and I like Kim Gordon now, but it's like, she did, she had this like fashion, like house where it was like all women that were like size two. It was like, even like women and all the pseudo alternative guys that were supposed to be open-minded in the nineties, they always dated the girls that didn't challenge them. It was like, it's like, I kept noticing everybody's still just kind of doing what the mainstream, what the status quo is doing, but it's like, oh, I'll put on a, a ratty cardigan and listen to Nirvana. So I'm not like the jocks, but they were like the jocks, <laughs> you know? And, and that's the thing, like old school punk connected with me because it, you know, there wasn't the bullshit. There wasn't, it, the aesthetic was all over the place because it was all about creating your own aesthetic, your own, you know, your own boys and and i you know it's like because speaking of alice bag from the bags she has a youtube channel with her her husband called alice and greg and they're now like um living in mexico city but she just recently did a little video about she got invited to portugal to do uh this this talk about women in punk and she was she showed this great mural about all of these portuguese women you know, that were part of 70s and 80s punk that nobody talks about. And even she was like, you know, and this woman is a punk pioneer, you know, from America. And even she's like, I don't know a lot of these women. Why? You know, it's like, I mean, you think about it, like if you go all throughout the world, there's so many voices. And I'm like, I want to see that documentary. I don't, the pistols are done. It's cooked. It's over. You know, and I love the pistols. John Lydon used to be one of my heroes before he lost his fucking mind. <laughs> yeah, I fucking hate them now. I, I don't even want I to talk can't. about it. I can't with the pistols. Did you see the polystyrene? I am cliche. I want to see it so bad. I haven't so seen it I love her. good. She is so good. And the thing that I, I really loved about it was how they focused on how she just didn't fit into that lifestyle. She didn't really... Uh, wasn't interested like she had her own fashion thing going on and she grew up poor in the east end of london she was a mother she struggled with mental health and um i just thought it was really brilliant it made me cry at the end as well it's got a daughter in it oh um, yeah and you know women of color as well women and people often forget about the x-ray specs and it's like they were such an important but for me they were such an important band growing up as well some people think little girls should be seen and not heard, but I think... Oh, bondage! Up yours! One, two, three, four! Just the stuff that she would sing about, the sort of anti-capitalist, anti-commercialist stuff, and, oh my God, germ-free adolescence, I still listen to that. I still listen to that album now, Identity, just so fucking good. And it was amazing to see her, just see her celebrated in that way. It doesn't like, you know, it doesn't gloss over the difficulties that she had as well, but it actually shows her as a person. 
I think. Um, I just, yeah, you should totally check it out. But then I saw that Netflix had done the pistols thing, and I'm thought, do we, do we no. need this? Like, you know, do we fucking need this? Even, even with some of the the better known bands, Danny out there. fucking Boyle, man, please oh, piss no. off. Just does. You know, the thing too is, you know, they're not going to cover the. <laughs> This haunts me. Um, and I can't remember, was it in, I want to say it was in Leiden's first book, but there's an interview, like there's a little quote from Steve Jones because they all hated poor Glenn Matlock because he was, um, his family were middle class. Yeah. <laughs> and That's such he, a British thing. Steve, I know, it's, but Steve Jones like literally like masturbated into a sandwich <laughs> and then warmed it up and gave it to, to Glenn. Glenn, to, I don't know if Glenn ever knew until probably the book came out, but that haunts me. I don't know if that's just a side here, but... No, that was just a fucking thing, I think. There was all sorts of shit used to happen like that. <laughs> I know somebody who shat into two, in between two digestive biscuits and gave it to some guy they hated. Pretend it was peanut butter. Oh, God. That is so that, nasty. That was just like a, I think with the British punks, some of them got a bit too carried away with the whole it was a weird scene, actually, because you got, like, the real sort of anarchy kids. And I guess I was sort of like that, but also I never truly believed in anarchy because I liked shops and bars and things like that. So I was, like, kind of, <laughs> I was more like a, like a socialist, I guess, than an anarchist. I just wanted a better life, you know, more opportunities. But you yeah. also, on the other hand, like, and within our side, you'd always get the dickheads for some reason. Like, <laughs> oh my God. We, this guy, I hope he's not listening to this. This guy that we used to squat with, we used to call him Martin Haircut because he had like a Mohican. He was a fucking idiot. I remember saying that to him once. You're a fucking idiot. Is there anything that goes, and, and his whole thing was he, like his whole fucking persona was he'd get up and act like Sid Vicious in Sid and Nancy. Oh, like God. In, in the first part of the film when he's just being silly for the sake of it. He'd just do that 24-7. It was like, can you stop? This is not impressive. And on the other half, you'd have these like weird middle-class rebels. And I was talking about these to someone recently because, you know, you get like the really kind of identity politics sort of... Um, woke scolds like everything is a fucking problem you know everything is a fucking problem they're like wait those were the prototype the middle class ones they were all like ridiculously vegan and they didn't like people that got drunk and they didn't like people that did drugs and oh god straight to, edge <laughs> yeah no. they were so fucking straight <laughs> edge and they were so boring but not only that they would literally lecture fucking everybody and what shoes you were wearing to to fucking god knows what my dog is growling now because he doesn't like those people and god they were killjoys so i was like the other half of it and they were all like posh they were all from like posh backgrounds and used to get like pretend squatters like their parents <laughs> really rich parents but we were actually homeless so i was on the other side with the kind of you know the the more nihilistic working class people who did silly stuff like shit in sandwiches. <laughs> <laughs> oh god. What is it about and I've and, and you know, I do want to stress like anybody listening, like obviously, 
yeah, we don't have a problem with anybody. I mean, we, me and Kat have had periods where we've been vegan and, you know, if somebody doesn't drink or do drugs, that's fine. But there's a difference to me between people who happen to have the, you know, happen to do that versus like straight edgers that are absolutely. Oh my God. They're no just, they're fun. like religious fanatics. And they, cause I used to go, we have like a lot of, um, we have a lot of hunting around here in Gloucestershire, like proper go out in a red coat on a fucking horse, posh toff, twat. And I was into the, the, the crest movement was very linked to animal rights as well as politics. So yeah, I was a vegetarian. I wasn't vegan. I was vegetarian. Um, and we go out and do what they called hunt sabbing. And that involved getting up at five in the morning. There was a van that used to meet at the train station that would be full of like, these weird sort of socialists and punks and balaclavas and stuff. It was really funny. Um, and we'd go out to the hunt and we'd sabotage it by, like, disrupting the dogs. We'd get – they blow these horns, so we'd have our own horns to, like, call the dogs away from the fox. And there was a bunch of us that used to go because we thought it was, like, fun. Like, it was fun to piss the posh people off. We could save the fox. <laughs> but we wouldn't go to bed. we just, like, do loads of speed, and we stay up all night drinking. So we turn up at this van, completely fucking out of it, like, at five in the morning to a bunch of straight-edge people, and they fucking hated us. But they still let us come along because ha- there was barely any of them, and they needed, like, to make the numbers up. So they, like, <laughs> begrudgingly let us in the van, but then they would just... I remember some guy checking my sandwich once, like checking the, actually opening my sandwich and checking the ingredients to see what was in there. It's like, what is their fucking problem? They they weren't inhabiting the spirit of punk. No. Well, and there's also, um, and this is something you and I have talked about, um, I think a lot is, you know, the, the difference between somebody who can slum it up, but always go back to their existence they're versus... the common people aren't yeah. they pulp which yeah. i love that song i do too i love pulp and uh, but god what is it about like anytime somebody's like i'm straight edge i'm just like oh god i'm gonna get a light and i have we've all known people like that i knew a guy that was uh hardcore vegan when i became vegetarian uh in my late teens and he's like you know where that cheese comes from oh it's just like, like yeah. what's funny is i found out years later he was totally like drinking cough syrup like on the down low <laughs> oh they were all full of shit there was this one guy i remember i caught him sat in the fucking mcdonald's um so one of the, one of them <laughs> I can't remember just sat in a fucking mcdonald's eating a big mac like at some weird time so we didn't expect anyone to walk past and i through the door and i just laugh like that kid on the simpsons <laughs> 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 and then i told everyone <sighs> i was oh, 16 God. i haven't grown up much since then actually i'm still just um, as petty but it's like yeah there was that side to it but there was also like a real I think to me like a real sort of and it then merged into like the new age travelers the new age traveler the hippie convoy scene started as 70s hippies but by the time I got into it in the late 80s early 90s it was it was open-minded punks it was it was sort of punks who were also into new agey stuff um and you had like a whole community around that and um so I went from squatting to then on the road and I had a kid by then I was 17 and those people were my family and they you know didn't judge they didn't judge you could basically just be yourself 
See, I love that. And I think, you know, that's the thing is that if people, if you really examine the root of, of things, like you go back to the late sixties, like the real hippies were the ones that were not only seekers, they were also angry. They were, they were angry because it's like, there's all this bullshit in the world. And it's like, yes, you should be angry. And then, of course, you know, a lot of people co-opted that and just dumbed it down to where it's like, oh, it's peace and love and free love. And, of course, a lot of those, a lot of those, those types of hippies were, a lot of those guys were super sexist. Like, they were fine with women as long as they got to fuck them. Yeah, and the, exactly. And the women kept in the kitchen, you know. So, but, uh, but then you have that. And I, that's something I've always found, like. Like, I know you and I've talked a lot about Hawkwind off air. Oh my God. <laughs> I'm a huge Hawkwind fan. And, uh, but, you know, that's always been one of the bands where it's like, you could, you know, punks love Hawkwind. Like, punks were no, fine with Hawkwind. No, this was the thing. Yeah. Hawkwind were like a counterpoint band because it's weird. When the punks started, they were against the hippies. They were like a backlash against the boomers, mm -hmm. the boomers generation. And so, you know, if you were a true punk, then, you know, it was an insult to be called a hippie. Uh, but by the time you got to the, like the new agey traveler scene, punks had merged with hippies. So it was like a weird amalgamation. By that time, I had like, a, you know, a mohawk and dreadlocks and I wanted to grow my own vegetables, but I also wanted to smash up the fucking state. It was like a whole thing. <laughs> I love and it. within that scene, you know, we'd move around every summer and we'd put on what they call free festivals. We'd just occupy a field and this stage would turn up called Wango Riley's Traveling Stage. And they would just host bands and they'd put a hat around to donate to people and you get free music all weekend and Hawkwin were always there like Hawkwin in some I say Hawkwin various incarnations of Hawkwin Hawkwin has so many different oh my god lineups I'm pretty sure the Hell's Bells were in Hawkwin at some point you and it was me you and Dave Brock and yeah but they were and here and now and um Oh God, what they called that band that came out of Gong? What were they fucking? Yeah, here and now, oh, and there was another God, one. Um, you know, all those bands. Then, along with the Subhumans, became Culture Shock, and then they became Citizen Fish. So they sort of changed. And Subhumans are always one of my favorite punk bands. But then I saw them as Culture Shock and saw them as um, Citizen Fish, where they embrace more reggae. They were part of that scene, and you had. Uh, Oi Polloi, bands like RDF, the Levelers, who were like a Irish folk band that, that when, then went really mainstream. It was like a whole hodgepodge, but the the philosophy was still very much punk. It was about, um, you know, Thatcher won't give us anything. We've got no prospects, so we will take back the land. We will take back the land and we'll start our own communes. So it had that whole thing. And again, if I hadn't had that, with a kid you know 17 years old with a kid bringing a kid up um I don't know what I would have done because I had people around me to support me you know who also had kids and really took the stress off me and people would help you out with food with money with clothes you know it was it was a really wonderful time until the John Major government made it illegal but it it was like a weird scene at the end like very early 90s you also had the rave scene became connected to it when you think of dance music now it's like the most mainstreamy it's like ibiza nightclub scene it's like people that dress like the kardashians 
But in 1990, <laughs> dance music, house music was really fucking underground and punks would go to raves and take loads of E. And it was just like the fucking best thing. But no, I love that, like, I love the idea. I mean, ironically, I kind of almost feel like this is our, our second journey of the show is kind of what we're doing is sort of these intersections because it's like with punk and spirituality and to me it makes sense it's like it resonates with me so deeply especially because you know in this area a lot of the new age people i met when i was younger like were so anti-anger and so anti you know it's like you had to be a quote-unquote earth mama sort of time the scene was different now and i think again with the internet when you think of like new agey people or pagan people or whatever you think of like those weird mother types with their crystals who were like anti-vax and anti-covid <laughs> vaccine you know and these these yeah. wellness gurus people like um gwyneth paltrow stuffing oh, fossils up Don't her family you know, not you, you know but that wasn't what it was then it was nothing like that when i kind of got into paganism in again around 14 15 probably 14 you know kind of went down that path the like more spiritual path it was very much connected to punk it was very much connected to like a political thing to feminism to animal welfare to general ecology you know we see what we're what's happening with global warming warming now oh, but God. it was yeah. very much about that and about coming back to the land and, and building communes and stuff it wasn't all peace and love though it was anti-war but some of those demonstrations we had in the 80s were fucking violent you know i was in a few protests that turned into riots and the cops back then they would beat the fucking shit out of you. They would beat the shit out of you. And I saw some some shit go down back mm. then with cops. You know, they were like thugs. So you couldn't afford to be a pacifist in that sense because if you wanted to protest, you were likely to come up against violence. You were likely to come up against violence from the police, but also violence from outsiders. We'd get like these weird like vigilante people that would try and... Um, come onto our sites when we were parked up in our caravans and start shit or i remember my 18th birthday turning into a massive fight because these drunken rugby fans in the pub just decided to pick on my friends that i was with thinking they were little skinny hippies and they took a massive pasting from them <laughs> so already yes. kind of fighting. <laughs> yeah. well and, and that's the thing is that i think you know, whenever, because in, in my experience, like some of the, and there's one lady in particular, I'm not going to name, but that I, I knew locally that turned nasty and went insane. And she was one of those people that was Earth Mama, don't be angry, don't be angry. And then she turned into the most angry, scary bitch, like ever. She It's like she literally ah, lost her mind. And you, can't, you can't repress you can't, it. No, you can't. I think the one thing the um punk taught me when i was younger was you know i you know i had a very difficult uh, childhood and then i moved into care i was expelled from school i was bullied at school i was expelled from school was like a whole thing you know i was so angry and i also had undiagnosed adhd which has since been diagnosed in my 40s 
which is an actual neurological condition, but I was just getting blamed for stuff left, right and center. And I just felt so angry. And all I was ever being told by adults, you know, by social workers, by school, by my mother was stop being angry. You know, I remember at school, they sent me for anger management course with some therapist and nobody ever asked me, why are you angry? Not once, mm-hmm. not ever. They sent me to psychiatrists, to therapists, to social work. Like I went through them like I would have a new social worker every two weeks because I would wear them out. They couldn't deal with me. Uh, I made one of my therapists cry, a child psychologist. I actually made him cry, quit, <laughs> quit on me. because I was like, <laughs> But not one of them said, why are you angry? And Punk gave me this thing. It's like, it's actually okay to be angry if you channel it in a certain way, like like his psycho John Lydon said, anger is an energy. You know, it can be destructive if you internalize it, but you can also use anger to change things. You can use anger in a righteous way. We need anger, and I think women need anger more than, you know, because when we're angry, they're, we're double-judged, aren't we? Like, women mm-hmm. aren't supposed to be angry. We're supposed to be sort of nice and polite, and it's not very ladylike to be aggressive or angry or lose your temper. You know, they always react to us, like, like you know, if we lose our temper, like, it's some terrible thing. Blokes lose their temper all the time. It's like, oh, it's just a bloke. Women does it, and they're like, oh, my God, calm down, calm down. <laughs> <laughs> like the Victorian wives going off to the asylum because they probably lost their shit one day and raised their voice. Oh god. I I don't know how women in the past just didn't all collectively just start grabbing machetes and going fucking full tilt, you know. It it is amazing though because punk I saw angry women but they weren't like, you know, the messages that we got from society was, you know, uh, angry women are unattractive and bitter and they will end up spinsters or they're crazy or they're mentally ill or they're ugly or that you know all of these things the, the, and that's like still embedded in the social code I still don't think we allow women to express anger look at the way men react to what they call feminazis yeah some women mentioning anything and the just a reaction it's like no you're the one projecting the the destructive anger not this woman but they can't cope with it. And it, it's like uh, the first time I saw these women who were angry, but they were intelligent, they were smart, they were doing something to change things. And again, that was life-changing for me because, you know, even in the work I do now, I know certain people think I'm quote-unquote difficult because I will get angry, but I was speaking to, I have like an ADHD coach now, not that anybody needs to know this, but she's great. She's like my anchor. And I was talking about anger and she was like, but I've never seen you like angry, angry, like waste of time angry. Your anger is usually like righteous. It's usually attached to a cause and that's actually a good thing. And I started to think about how that's still attached to punk because those were positive people like vice versa, you know, singing to some guy, look, I just don't, you're shit in bed. I can't be bothered with you. Like, what am I doing? Why am I putting up with this? Or, you know, polystyrene ranting about consumerism and identity and people wanting to mold us into these little plastic 
things, you know, these were angry women that served as really important role models, like super important. And again, without them, you know, the whole uh, reality asylum by crass, a woman criticizing Jesus and this idea of Jesus being on the cross for us. And, you know, from a feminist perspective, again, eye-opening. And so I I often see women still say, oh, I shouldn't be angry. And I'm just like, be angry. No, be fucking angry. Listen to <laughs> punk. Well, and, and, you know, that's the thing, too, is that we, you know, we are, we live in a culture where we're not, we're never encouraged as children to channel emotions in a in a way that's honest and healthy. You know, it's like you said, nobody asked you were angry when you I think especially when you're a child nobody asks you anything it's like I remember I you know I was bullied a lot and I was very sensitive I still you know to quote filthy animal Taylor I'm a I'm you know I'm a fucking artist I'm sensitive as shit I still am sensitive but but it was always phrased in a way where it's like it was a negative and it's like but then you get upset oh don't be upset don't be sensitive you know be tough but don't get angry and don't and it's like you end up just being this like little creature of just a knot you're tense you know because you can't relax and then you hear something you discover things like punk and you discover art where you're shown it's like these are sort of our our healers our leaders showing us like hey you can't it's yeah fucking be angry there's plenty of things to be mad about that's fine that doesn't make you crazy it doesn't make you a bitch it doesn't make you this awful human it means you're human you know and just channel it in a healthy way because like some of the people i've known that end up being really toxic especially women are ones that it's like they didn't channel it and sometimes they'd end up channeling their anger at other women instead of a man you know i'm not saying women be angry at men but you know what i mean like it, it's no like, i totally yeah. i know what you mean i went through years of therapy like after i got diagnosed with adhd i thought it's time to go into therapy and got stuck on this idea of trauma like maybe i've got this underlying trauma you know because i've been through like stuff obviously mm -hmm. and people that follow my film work quite a lot of it comes up in that um, I like to overshare, so there's no secrets here. But I went through about four years with my therapist of trying to dig for this trauma. Like, I must have been traumatized. I, there must have been something underneath. I had PTSD for a very specific uh, event that happened, and that was treated. So mm -hmm. after that, I thought there must be more. Like, because I've been through all this stuff, and I must be totally traumatized. And I got through this whole thing, like, at the end of four years and realized, no, I'm not remotely traumatized. And I credit that purely to things like punk, purely to the fact that I had that outlet, I had that community. Even now, still in a way, I'm still in touch with a lot of those people, the ones that are still here, still with us, because we've lost quite a few. Mm -hmm. And they'll always be family to me. Um, it's like that talking of, I, I'm not that into, uh, the U S hardcore stuff, but I do love blood for blood. And I know some of their songs can be a bit sexist, but I do like white trash anthem. And I do like the way they talk about how they found their family on the city sh streets and what it's like to be poor. Um, and that's what it was like being poor, having nothing, but having these people that were saying it's actually okay to be angry about this. So because I was able to express a lot of that, especially in my teens when I was like probably my most angry because hormones, confusion, you know, that 
Um, I think I came out of it relatively well grounded, which was a quite a, I don't know, I just thought, fuck it, I'm not actually traumatised. Whereas I seem to be, and this isn't to criticise anybody, but I seem to be surrounded by people on social media who were like, traumatised by reading a synopsis of a film that they haven't seen. <laughs> <laughs> like the opposite. It's like, show me your trauma, give me your trauma. And I guess you can't be traumatised if you have that sense of community. But also, like, when you're really fucked off, you can go and fucking mosh the shit. Like, I spent years, I was still moshing in my mid-30s. You know, getting a good mosh in, or even hours of headbanging, is more worth than more than any fucking therapy in my opinion. Like based on the fact that I've come out of this relatively unscathed, I think. Yeah, well, and and that's the that's the important like the thing I'm always I'm always thinking about, and I try to you know I actually wrote about this recently. I think uh, for a piece I did for my Patreon about like I did a little like a playlist to kind of get through. You know, just obviously there's a lot of you know a lot of shit we have all gone through politically, uh, you know, on, in both the UK and, and America and, pro- and all over the world too. There's always bullshit. There's always somebody trying to take advantage of you in this world, politically, religiously, whatever. But it, you know, I always say your oppressors, anybody that wants to oppress you, and it could be a government, could be a, a preacher, could be a, a boss at a day job, whatever. Um, they want you to give up. They want you to acquiesce and be depressed and, and just be like, well, that's it. That's how things are. And the thing that's beautiful about punk is punk reminds you, no, it's not. They don't, things don't have to be like that. Don't give up because you're fucking worth fighting for. This world is worth fighting for. And we're all in this together. Um, to me, it's like the most honest, the honest sort of like you take the ethos of, that people attribute with hippies. But punk is like, to me, always felt like the honest version where it's like, yeah, we all, we are, you know, we are uh, a brotherhood, a sisterhood, whatever, but, you know, in a real way, not in this sort of like, you know, you know, let's hold hands and, you know, sing Crosby, Stills and Nash, like, fuck that. No, let's mosh, (laughs) you know, let's get in the pit. (laughs) That's what I mean. It was all about that and all about expressing that, but saying that anger can be powerful. Anger can actually be a powerful thing. Anger it can change things. You know, you can be angry and not express it or not express it in a healthy way and end up really bitter and horrible and, yeah, okay, that's not good. Or you could project your anger at other people and hurt other people, but this isn't that anger, you know. This is good, healthy anger. And I think it's a necessary thing. I think... The world is, you know, kids today, again, kids today, but they don't have punk like that. There are a few. I meet the odd little well, younger person who's got into punk, and I'm like, yeah. But the, the support community's not there anymore. Uh, they don't have that. They don't have, like, the larger thing. And I think a lot of that's down to gentrification. You know, we could squat empty buildings because so much of the buildings were empty, you know, they'd just been left. It was like nobody owned them or no one knew who owned them. Um, And there were these little communities that were set up in every city. You know, you could go to another city, you could find the community there. They would instantly welcome you. And, um, you know, but with gentrification, how can that happen now? How can that happen? It's like like it happened in a physical space 
but people would physically hang out and find each other. It's not the same being online. I don't think it's the same. You don't get that same level of uh, contact and understanding and, and practical support. You know, I think that was the most important thing to me was practical support. Homeless at 15, pregnant at 16, I had all the practical support. You know, um, how are kids going to get that now? And I think that is down to gentrification and it's down to the fact that we, we're we much more globalised in that, I mean, there's a good thing. We meet people from all over the world. We became friends, you know. From yeah. <laughs> but the downside of it is, you know, there's no longer that community level thing. So kids now don't have that. And look at what's happening with them, you know, the mental health crisis and the suicide rates, you know, it's, as a mother to to young young people, it's a, it's a worry, you know, what they're dealing with. Whereas... Um, Punk in the 80s was seen as the bad thing or stay away from punk or stay away from heavy metal. It's the corruptor, it's evil. But it was actually the good. It was the goodness. It was the it was the haven for because I was so terribly bullied and then I got expelled from school and I was the only heavy metal kid. Everyone else was into, we used to call them Kevin and Sharon's. They're into like <laughs> terrible Rick Astley or whatever. <laughs> Oh God! I used to call them Kevin and Sharon's and I was just picked on and when I walked into that club I met this girl on a bus just a random strange girl and she commented on my Iron Maiden t-shirt and by the end of the bus ride we were best friends and she's like come to this club and I walked in I was like I've come home uh, oh, you know, man. all the kids that were bullied and, you know, were had nowhere else to go or misunderstood could hang around there. Like, there's nothing like that now. It makes me so sad. I feel like I need to do a rescue mission on them. Like, <laughs> go around and, like, I don't know, drop crass CDs on them door to door. So I don't even <laughs> fucking know. Uh, I will say that I, I noticed, because there's sometimes I'll see something on like I'm not formally on Tumblr, but there's a like there's a, a few Tumblrs I like to peek in. That I don't are really... understand Tumblr. What's well, why I'm don't. not really formally on it. <laughs> <laughs> but there's some I fall I, I bookmark because I like checking in, and some of them are these like um, some are more like more goth adjacent kids, but I see them like supporting each other. Like they'll reshare like okay, you know. We got somebody that's, you know, still having to live at home. They're young. They're transgendered. Their parents are abusive. Let's raise some money. Let's help them get them out. You know, I see, I think, I think the community there, it's just kind of like everything gets mutated and there are things that have not helped. I mean, gentrification is honestly one of the most noxious uh, evil things on this planet. I have very strong feelings about gentrification, especially living in an area like my the town I live in is is riddled with it, and I've I've seen some shit that people have just, you know, like we lived it. We live we basically like we lived in a slum, and it got bought by this company, and they just literally just kicked people out. And a lot of these people that lived the the other tenants were, you know, people that worked in factories, elderly people, uh, people that had you know had to relocate because of Hurricane Katrina, you know, and these good people got booted. So these, this slum got basically remodeled into an eco village. That's now like $900 a month for like a one bedroom. 
in Fayetteville, Arkansas. Okay, this isn't New York City. (laughs) (laughs) And nobody, it's like, I remember we would tell people around it, like, we'd get so mad because not only because we lived in it, but we we were able to leave before they could evict us, before they could kick us out. We at least were able to leave kind of on our own terms, but there were people that didn't, you know, and we were, I still have such anger about that because that's what gentrification is. It puts a niceness, a nice little veneer on. Oh, it's just, bullshit. Yeah, on bullshit. A nice veneer on basically not taking care of each other. It's it's bullshit. I, I lived on this estate, this council estate when my kids were growing up um smallish estate had quite a bad reputation but it was lovely there and I had so much support and we went through the same thing the council decided they were going to sell on to a private developer Mm. Uh, they made up some bullshit about how we could go back to a new house which never happened um I was one of the last ones to hold out uh you know they were bulldozing the house like it was bullying they just basically dismantled an entire community and I think the downside of that was there was a much bigger alter- physical alternative scene when I was a teenager to just wander into. I mm. didn't have to like infiltrate. It was it was as easy as meeting someone on a bus. Um, you know, there were various biker bars, there were goth clubs, there was the heavy metal club, there were gigs being put on, and a lot of them were being put on in you know, these sort of dive bars or, you know, people were renting out church halls or community centers. Or we had like what they call the art center, which was like a bit of a collective. They had a bar, they had like an art gallery, they would run courses and stuff. And they were basically run as a charity and a lot of bands played there. And so it was ready-made. All you had to do was go to the very small town centre and wander one way or another, and you would bump into those people. But now, Cheltenham, where I'm from, I didn't recognise the place. The whole thing is like Costa Coffee and fucking Starbucks and posh wine bars. And it's like every other town. And all those little divey spaces, no one can afford them anymore. So none of that happens anymore. It's just such a such a sad thing i know they like they go on the band camp and stuff now or youtube it's not the same as being stood in the back of a crowd moshing with a pint of snake biting black is this not no well and you know that's the thing anybody like because i see so many people like even like locally that consider themselves liberal and but they don't get mad about that. They don't get mad about gentrification and they don't. And it's like, but then people have the nerve to yeah, say. Yeah, but a lot of the middle classes are part of the problem. That's why they don't get mad because they're the ones buying up the houses. Yeah, you know. they're, they're not suffering. They're not the ones that have had to suffer from it, you know, and it's so, uh, it just, it, it makes. A lot of the bands that we've been talking about, where did they come from? They came from the squatting scene. They came from these small art communities, from council estates, from slums. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of them came out of that and met other people locally. I mean, look at Black Sabbath all working in a factory. You know, there'd be no Black Sabbath if it wasn't for that. Or, you know, a lot of those, ba- the actual bands were working class. Yes. Yeah, I know the Clash are a bit more middle class, but a lot of those bands would have never have happened. Punk would have never have happened if those spaces hadn't been there. And then those very first gigs and all the way through the 80s, they took place at a community level. 
Yeah, they weren't going off to Wembley. I know the Pistols got big, but the rest of the band, no one's going off to like Wembley or whatever, all these big venues. It was still very low-key. And, um, you know, it doesn't really exist anymore. It's such a sad thing. I don't think we could have something like punk now. Um, maybe the internet version, but I don't know what that would be. I, I honestly <laughs> don't know what that would be. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing too, is that I'm, I'm so glad like you brought that up because that's something people don't discuss. And I don't, or at least I don't think enough people discuss. Cause I remember like when Trump got elected, Amanda Palmer, like, and she met, I think she met well, it was incredibly naive about like, Oh, well, we'll, this will bring punk again. And it's like, well, the, the places that punk originated from artists, you know, working class artists could afford to live there. You could afford like New York city. A lot of those, especially like the no wave, like punk scene people, they were squatting. Like there was, you know, New York city in 1979 versus now, or, or it might as well be on, on a different planet, you know, no, people can't afford to live in those cities. And so I, I, what gives me hope because I always believe there's always hope it's, it's going to be whatever will be the new sort of mutation of, of punk that's needed. is not going to be, I think in a big city, it's going to be in a small town. It's going to be in nowhereisville. It's going to be, because those are the kids that really need it the most. If, if, if you, if you can afford to live in those big cities, you're doing better than most people, you know, <laughs> like, I mean, realistically, I know there are a lot of people live in those cities that are struggling too, and I have friends that live out there. So, you know, obviously, they're the exception. But you know, the people that really need it are the ones that are disenfranchised, like both economically but also geographically. Um, that's the thing you and I have always bonded on because we're, we're people in our field that don't live. And we don't have instant access to jump on a plane and go to a huge city or drive and go to a big city and be a part of events and mingle. Like we're stuck geographically in places where that's not really feasible my, financially, you know, with or the just stick realistically. Girls. With the yeah, stick with girls. The stick girls. The stick girls. The podcast. The stick girls. But, but yeah, look at us. Like we're scrappy. We, we still, we make shit happen because we got because that punk, punk rock. Yeah. <laughs> We got that punk the spirit of punk lives. I think that's why it's so easily adapted to podcasting and blogging because they, to me, seemed like uh, like an extension of the fanzine or the pirate radio. Only you didn't need like any equipment now apart from a computer, and you can get a computer relatively cheaply, or you could even go and use one at the local library if you couldn't afford a computer and that to me was a, like a fucking game changer and I know there's like loads of people who look down their noses on podcasting or blogging like it's not professional you know you get these fucking wankers who were like I'm a like I'm a professional writer but I still blog I still podcast because to me that's where the true freedom is and that is you know that is a thriving scene and I like to see that because um on one hand, yeah, there is a lot more noise, but you're seeing a lot of writers uh, breaking through the, the, like me, I would have never have got through traditional boundaries. It was only with the internet I was able to break that wall. Mm -hmm. And same, same with you. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I'm just a hick. I come from a hick fucking town. I've got like no background in anything. And, you know, there's no way I could have done that like in a traditional way, but 
I could start a blog, I could start a podcast. And I think my skills from punk just made it so easy for me to adapt to that. It's like, okay, let's get people together. Let's sort this out. You know, it just seemed natural to me. And so maybe maybe that's answered my question. That's where the punks are now. They're in podcasts. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and I I love it too, because it's, you know, it's that almost... I mean, it's almost like kind of like a wonderfully sort of perverse version of those old like Andy Hardy, you know, films with Mickey Rooney where it's like, we got, we got two pieces of wood and a mic, let's put on a show. (laughs) And, but that's the thing, like punk, yeah, it's, it, it gives you a fearlessness because it's just like, I, you see so many people that are, I've known people that are so crazy talented that, that kind of cut off their own legs before they can even run because they you know it's like they'll say oh well but i don't have this or that and it's yeah, not no right, just and it's fucking not, do it just do you it know, I, you... I get right it's asked me for advice all the time just just fucking do it even if you're shit just fucking do it you'll get better i was terrible when i started my blog and i know i've said this time and time again it's fucking shit i couldn't write for do- i just just do it just do it it like it costs relatively nothing to just do it and yeah you probably suck at it but you know, you'll get better. When I first started podcasting, I had a terrible mic and then I upgraded my mic and then I got, you know, just fucking do it though, because I think it's one of those things that it doesn't matter. You don't have to sound like you're the fucking BBC or you don't have to write like Ernest Hemingway to to find an audience, to find people. And that's what I found through my blogging. I wasn't great. You know, I'm much better writer now, but I'm always still trying to improve. But what I found were my people. Like I found you. Hell <laughs> I yeah. Found you, you know, all the weird misfits who like the same stuff as me. So just fucking do it. So I say, like you say, people are like, oh yeah, I need to get this. I need to do that. Yeah, but I need it. No, just do it. That is the punk way. Just do it. Even if you're shit, just just fucking do it. Even if you don't know what you're doing, just just try anyway you know wasn't it like that badass pink fairy song you know <laughs> i was like just do it, do it. <laughs> great song. but seriously i mean because it's the thing like if 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 somebody if you don't do it you're never gonna do it because that's the thing like if you keep putting shit off and being like oh i need this that it's got to be i gotta have this particular wall fixture whatever you know you won't if you don't do it, you're not going to do it. And I, I'm a big believer in just like, I'd, I'd rather regret something I did than something I didn't do. Cause the shit exactly. you don't do will haunt you. That is the things you'll think about when you're old, not the things you're like, everybody makes mistakes. Everybody does something or create something that, yeah, you look back and it's like your little weird child with three arms that's in the attic. Whatever. <laughs> it's fine. Everybody's got one of those. Um, and the thing, honestly, I noticed when I first started writing, you know, when I was trying, like, okay, I'm going to do this professionally. Um, it's like, I would see people that were getting huge gigs that weren't great. I mean, and I was like, well, fuck. I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not like the best writer in the world, but if this, yeah, you know, if this yahoo can do it, <laughs> I mean, yeah, look at 50 shades of gray, you know, I mean, that's not good writing. Oh my God, please don't. That's a whole other podcast. That'll be our next episode. We do need to do one on erotica, I think. Good we erotica. That has the, to be an episode. Oh my gosh, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we can talk about men mewing. 
Um, oh my with God. <laughs> men viewing, I don't think it's very punk personally i don't know but maybe well, I'm we all got that. to the end of this episode and we finally slipped <laughs> it was gonna happen we finally I mean... slipped into filth we were doing so well oh, no, i was talking about the books though i wasn't talking about the movies I oh no the, the books. books they're terrible they are yes. fucking terrible oh my god no that's i haven't even seen the movies now i'm talking about the books that's pure filth like... and not in a good way now it's... But I do like that Gil- Gilbert Gottfried uh, clip. Oh my god, that's reason. the best thing about it. That <laughs> and <laughs> that and a discussion I, I had with my my friend Amy when she was telling me she'd read a passage. She didn't read the book, but she was reading an article about it. And there's the scene where he like yanks out her her tampon and has a go at her in the bathroom. And I and we were like, well, is he like? What's he? Is he like? doing a cowboy thing with the tampon yeah is he like lassoing something he's like wow you know i don't know that was hilarious that conversation i enjoyed much more than the actual passage we were talking about (laughs) um just the mental image of it all you know (laughs) but um but i (laughs) anyhow and anywho uh but seriously yeah anybody listening to this any creatives anybody don't life is so short don't let fear rule you and this is coming from somebody with anxiety i mean fear has been a huge part of my life since i was i was a toddler but because of that i also know what bullshit it is you know so i i know what i speak from you know if you're afraid of something then maybe that's your your mind telling you do it yeah that's the thing i i have also have generalized anxiety disorder so i'm always like fuck you yeah let's do it and then it's like oh my god what is that (laughs) i'm a nervous wreck but you can be both that a punk allows you to be both of those things but it's like oh my god there's someone knocking on my door what is that oh god i hate (laughs) it's like smash the fucking system yes (laughs) that makes see and that's the thing that makes me feel so much better because that's the thing i am like i am total duality of like one half you know badass fucking blood goddess Kali kicking ass like let's bomb everything but in a really cool art way and the other part of me is like oh god everybody fucking hates me all of everybody <laughs> <laughs> like and I don't know why I do this to myself it's like god, you know why do we do this to ourselves but but look at us we keep going that's the important message nobody everybody's got fucking issues this world and this culture thrives on making people feel insecure by thinking, oh, well, you should have it together. So if you don't have it together, then lose this amount of weight, buy this dress, buy this car, do this, do that. It's all, it's all a ruse. Every, the corporate culture, what like thrives off of us guessing and second guessing ourselves to, as a, as a way to sell you shit. Fuck that. Fuck that. You're all beautiful. We're all beautiful. We're all hot messes. And that's okay. <laughs> so, guys, I hope you've enjoyed this new House Bows 2.0. We will think of some other subjects to rant on. <laughs> Actually, you should read Fifty Shades of Grey. That'll be a funny episode. Oh, my God. We could, like, read passages out loud and just be like, what the fuck? <laughs> Mewing? Let us know what you think and... Obviously, any subjects you'd like to see us cover in the future as well. Hit us up. And and Kat, where can uh, people find you and your work? Oh, well, you can find me on Kat Ellinger's Confessions of a Cine Slut. Uh, we do have actually 
for both of our Patreons, and I'll let Heather give the details of hers in a minute. Uh, something, a little bonus from the House Bells for, for both of our Patreons coming up, but we'll keep that under wraps for now. Absolutely. So you'll just have to stay stay tuned, and you can find me at Mondo Heather uh, website and Patreon, and of course you can find both of our works at diabolikemagazine.com. And, uh, and on various social media platforms. But uh, we love you guys and take no guff. <laughs> <laughs>